very much. Let's take our Bibles and go back to 2 Corinthians this morning. God willing, our goal is to wrap up this book this week and next. We took about a month's time to be redirected. I, I certainly hope that that was a helpful little redirect in 1 Peter chapter 4 together. I really pray that God's grace is compelling you to be excited that the end of all things is near. I pray that you'll be willing to occupy until he comes though, right? That's the great Christian balance. Looking for our hope expectantly to appear while we continue to pursue gospel progress. I hope that's the balance of your life and I certainly trust that you're personal devotion and your devotion and prayer to the Lord with one another is been increased. You desperately need that. I, I trust that your Christian relationships that need to be mended through forgiveness has been your experience as well. I trust that we've all been compelled to encourage the flock making our homes available maybe to those that we don't know as well and, and I trust that you're going to be able to take that spiritual ability that God gave you and use it to serve the flock talking this week with one of my kids and about the value of these things and I said really the the value of the implementation the value of the implementation of these things this is all I said, is that it is the perseverance of the body. So we, we really aren't just going through the motions of doing church, right? These are divine opportunities that we're graced to participate in. 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. Unto the encouragement of the flock to persevere really how we know what church family really is and what she does. These things are done together. Certainly we know the last 20 months did as much as it could to pull the church family apart from one another. But God's grace always compresses us and compels us back to one another Amen. for eternal purposes for gospel purposes. And uh, so anyways, I hope that was a delightful little excursion for four weeks there. Now we get back to 2 Corinthians. And I am going to take a moment to read quite a lengthy portion of this passage uh, together. And um, let's read again here, beginning uh, in verse chapter 11 and verse 21, where we left off. We we said that this particular section goes to chapter 12 and verse 13, but I'm going to read all the way through chapter 12 and then we'll cover this ground, God willing, here this morning. Paul says here, to my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison, but what ever respect anyone else is bold i speak in foolishness i am just as bold myself are they hebrews so am i are they israelites so am i are they descendants of abraham so am i 
Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane, I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he who is blessed forever knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the entrarch, under Eretus, the king, was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, and I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall, and so escaped his hands. Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable. But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a man was caught up into the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except in regard to my weakness. For I do not wish to boast. I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from this so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. I have become foolish for yourselves. Foolish, you yourselves compelled me. Actually, I should have been commended by you, for in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am a nobody. The signs of a true apostle are performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. For in what respect were you treated as inferior to the rest of the churches except that I myself did not become a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. 
here for this third time I am ready to come to you and I will not be a burden to you for I do not seek what is yours but you for children are not responsible to save up for their parents but parents for their children I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls if I love you more am I loved less but be that as it may I did not burden you myself. Nevertheless, crafty fellow that I am, I took you in by deceit. A little sarcasm there. Certainly I have not taken advantage of you through any of those whom I have sent to you, have I? I urged Titus to go, and I sent the brother with him. Titus did not take advantage of you, did he? Did we not conduct ourselves in the same spirit and walk and in the same steps? All this time you have been thinking that we are defending ourselves to you. Actually, it is in the sight of God that we have been speaking of Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I am afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you to not be what I wish and may be found by you to be not what you wish. That perhaps there will be strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. I am afraid when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you and I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented of the impurity, immorality, and sensuality which they have practiced. Thank you for bearing along with that reading. I think... Even if you don't know the Bible well, you can tell by now what Paul's trying to do. Paul is trying to defend his apostolic authority that was given to him by God in Christ Jesus. He's trying to continue to allow a relationship that was once strong with the church of Corinth, that was weakened, to be strengthened once again. He's well on his way to finding good success because they have received his first two letters with good hearts. They've responded, and they want to regain this fellowship with him in this gospel progress. But there are still those within and without that are trying to pull the carpet, if you will, of trust out from underneath the Apostle Paul before the Corinthian believers, and he's just basically stating here, hey, look, this is what genuine spiritual God-appointed authority is and what it does. There's a lot of things that we do to protect the purity of the church. The Apostle Paul is finishing this whole second letter with the goal of protecting the purity of the church through allowing the church to understand what divine authority is and what it's supposed to do in our church membership class many of you have been through we talk about the purity of the church and there's numerous ways in that last class that we we seek to maintenance together a church that has biblical integrity we stay focused on the word ephesians 5 it is the cleansing agent for the church that's the bible we desire to make sure that our gospel relationships in our own community are maintained. We talk about that through our work, our relationships with neighbors, 
our workout partners, our sports and recreation families, and those in our natural rhythms of our lives. We want to make sure that we're in good standing with them for the gospel's sake. We want to make sure that we're living Christ-like integrity before these folks. Ephesians 4 we go over, and that's where we just really want to maintenance that unity right here that the Spirit of God's produced. We strive to do that together through biblical communication. Right? We want those relationships to be strong as God intends them to be for the gospel's sake. We desire to maintain a gospel testimony in our community by making sure we worship with integrity in a public fashion like we're doing. We already talked through 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through chapter 7 and verse 1 and we talked about what worship without integrity looks like. Whenever we worship in a public fashion, we want to make sure that we're doing so to the glory of God by Jesus Christ and not aligning ourselves with darkness or unbelief. And then what we want to do is protect the purity of the church. We talk about, finally, in the welcome to our family class, is our own personal growth and holiness, right? Growth and holiness and not backing up into worldliness. We do this personally by devoting ourselves to the Lord. And we grow together around the Word in our homes. We grow in Christ-likeness and relationships around the Word together in spiritual mentoring relationships here. We grow closer to the Lord and His Word with each other in the context of our public worship. It's all a process. We do these things to protect the purity of the church. There are other things that the church does to protect the integrity of the church throughout the New Testament. But Paul squarely addresses this particular matter in the final chapters of 2 Corinthians. So this is a bit of a proposition for our last 15 or 20 minutes together this morning, all right? The church maintains its purity as she properly knows and understands biblical authority within the assembly of gathered saints. That's simple. The church maintains its purity as she properly knows and understands biblical authority within the assembly of the gathered saints. Falsehood diminished the nature and value of biblical authority in the church. Can I just restate that too? Falsehood diminished the nature and value of biblical authority in the church. Or should I say, tried to attack the nature and diminish the value? Because you can't really diminish the nature of what something is. It is what it is. They had distracted Corinth, which was now on the road to spiritual recovery, from appreciating even Paul's authority in their lives. Paul knew if this was to be a problem again during their spiritual recovery, the church would lose its gospel way because she would lose direct attachment and appreciation to the person God used in their lives to bring them the gospel and nurture them in the gospel in the first place. Does that make sense? If you can undermine the authority of the person who brought the gospel to you under which you got saved, then you can really undermine the direction of a person or a church, period. If you have invested any significant amount of time in this final section of 2 Corinthians, you most likely have noticed how much redundancy there is. You also have noticed there's an urgency to the redundant, repetitive way in which Paul writes, 
you hadn't, the hadn't had the opportunity to see this before our reading this morning, then you most likely noticed it in a large portion of this section that we read earlier. For Paul, if falsehood could be successful undermining his testimony and reputation without biblical rationale, then their very confidence, the very confidence that the Corinthians had experienced in the gospel when they first heard it could be threatened and gospel progress would be hindered. So Paul passionately restates his place in their lives by clearly reminding them of his authority by the gospel he had in their lives at first visit. It's recorded back in Acts chapter 18. This settling of their hearts by way of reminder included not just his ministry to them, but his own personal testimony. You see, a falsehood can undermine the testimony of Paul, could undermine his character, and he first gave him the gospel, and they can attack him on a personal level, then what value would his gospel message have had in the first place? Let's not forget this too, friends. There will always be a special appreciation you'll have to the person who first gave you the gospel. Do you remember who that was? You may have geographically been moved away from that person, or that person may now be home with the Lord, but in your heart, there's that attachment, and it's powerful, isn't it? For me, that was my parents. I praise God for my parents, who knew the most desperate need of my soul was forgiveness of my sin in Christ. I can assure you, the devil did everything he could do to hurt my relationship that I had with my parents. He did so until their dying day. Satan hates the gospel, and he also doesn't like God's people fellowshipping in the gospel together either. He'll do anything in his power to stop that. Again, Paul knew this. His heart was to realign and remain spiritually attached to the Christians in Corinth he had personally seen come to know the Lord. Falsehood had other plans. Falsehood sought to tear that gospel relationship of the Corinthian church with Paul limb from limb. Paul had to do with biblical authority confront the horrible direction of falsehood and at the same time protect the flock at Corinth. So how does Paul demonstrate his God-given authority in a letter to a people whom he has not visited in some time? He's been with them twice. He mentions twice that he'll be coming for a third visit. We read one in chapter 12 and verse 14. We'll see the next one next week in chapter 13 and verse 1. But there's been a lot going on since he had last been there, and he wanted to make sure that they were okay, and he does so by making sure that the Corinthians know what biblical authority is and what it does for the gospel's sake. So what were some of the tactics of Paul's attackers? We'll highlight a couple new ones and review a couple old ones just for our memory's sake. They tried to demonstrate that Paul was physically weak, and uninfluential because of his physical weakness. They would say certainly someone with so much authority and power wouldn't go through what Paul would go through. Do you remember what we read at the end of chapter 11? If he was really a strong guy, would he really be that afflicted? Would he really be that tormented? 
As a result, would he really be that physically weak? And what does Paul say? If I'm weak, yeah, and they say I'm weak, well, then I'm weak. But I'm weak for Christ's sake. They question his Jewish pedigree. We read that in chapter 11, verses 21 and 22. I mean, how vile are these people? They're going to question his very Jewishness. They're going to undermine his birthright and try to cancel his birthright out of their church culture. They criticized his lack of of power because he didn't charge people money to hear his message. Do you remember that from about a month ago? False ones would charge a fee based on their skill set. Some people were just street philosophers and street preachers. There were others that had gained an audience that had moved into more formal settings. And the more formal of a setting back in the first century, the more they would charge. And the bigger the crowd got, the more they would charge per person to come and listen to their oratory. And Paul says multiple times, three more times in the text we just read this morning, I didn't want to be a burden on you, and I wasn't even one time. I never charged you a dime to hear Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why would I charge a dollar? Why would I charge a dime for a message that has infinite value? I'm a servant to that message. There were certainly many other ways we've seen in our study as to how falsehood sought to undermine Paul's gospel authority in their lives, but I want to direct our attention now to what genuine, unfeigned, gospel authority is and does to protect relationships for the gospel's sake a number of you and i know for a fact a number of you have come from church backgrounds where authority was somewhat abusive and sometimes christianity can be discredited because of abuse of authority within what people called christianity but we have to remind ourselves just because someone or some group calls themselves Christian doesn't mean that they really are. And Paul wants to set the record straight for what genuine, unfeigned authority really is and what it does. Because this is the position and disposition that Christ would have had himself. So three things as we conclude this morning about spiritual authority that's genuine number one it's simple spiritual authority longs for the salvation and growth and holiness of saints in local churches what does Paul say in verse 14 in the latter half that we've already read 2 Corinthians chapter 12 in verse 14, I will not be a burden to you, for I do not seek what is yours, but I seek what? I seek you. I seek you. I do not seek what is yours, but you for children are not responsible to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. This is the genuine heartbeat of any spiritual authority 
It's the spiritual and personal well-being of souls they minister the gospel to. That's it. Period. There's nothing more that exists in higher priority. True, unfeigned authority never wants to be served. It just wants to serve and give their best to the spiritual protection, salvation, and protection of God's people. They live to shepherd the flock unto spiritual health and gospel progress. If we consider again chapter 12, verses 19 to 21, these verses that we've already read outline for you and me the expansion and the explanation of what Paul meant when he said, I don't seek what is yours but you. He says, all this time you've been thinking that we were defending ourselves to you, actually, it is in the sight of God that we have been speaking the gospel to you. We have been speaking in Christ. And all for your what? All for your upbuilding. See, in true spiritual authority, the attention's not on the authority, the attention's on the one who's being shepherded, and the focus is their spiritual growth. As Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, allowing Christ to be formed in them. And then he says, they're beloved. People who truly know that they're being shepherded in the gospel know that they're loved people. And they're not lorded over. They're loved. And then he goes on, I'm afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you do not be what I wish and may be found by you to be that which you don't wish of me. And then he lists this long thing, this long list of vices that could be there if they're not being built up in Christ. And really, folks, if you're influenced by unbelief or allowing unbelief to have an influence Paul just gives a list here that we've already read in these final verses here in 20 and 21. That is the vice of ministry of unbelief. I mean, really, folks, this is the antithesis of growth in Christ-likeness. This is the antithesis of allowing Christ to be formed in us. What is the opposite of Christ? What is the opposite of the gospel in Christ is simply jealousy and strife and arrogance and tempers and disputes and slanders and gossips and arrogance and disturbances and and all these things. That's the influence of unbelief. That's not the influence of genuine spiritual authority. He longed for the Christian's in Corinth to again understand his heart was for Christ and growth in his likeness. He knew that if Christ and the gospel were no longer the centerpiece of attention among them, then the lives of those in the church would demonstrate the absence of divine change as noted in verses 20 and 21. True leadership, true gospel authority longs to have Christ and the change that only God's grace can bring in him to the centerpiece of attention in the local church. Paul knew that this is the perpetuity of the church. He knew this is how Jesus builds his church. 
Number two, spiritual authority deflects notoriety and fame and focuses on spiritual growth and progress in the church. Spiritual authority deflects notoriety and fame. Now, we already know what falsehood did to get fame and notoriety, and they'd even, they'd even charge people with it. Okay? They'd even charge people for that fame. What does Paul say in the beginning of chapter 12? We're not going to reread it, but what's he saying here? Paul's been given visions and revelations of Scripture and of paradise itself. He even admits, as we've already read, that he's been tempted to pride because of what the Lord had allowed him to see and to receive. So the Lord gave him a thorn in the flesh because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations that he had been given. And in addition to the thorn in the flesh, how does he respond? Chapter 12 and verse 6 and chapter 12 and verse 10. Very similar in their wording. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Look at verses 11, and 11, 12, and 13 real quick. In addition to visions and revelations, Paul identifies himself with the most eminent of the apostles. Think about this, folks. He's seen heaven. He says here, he, doesn't, he speaks in the third person because what he's seen, he's not even allowed to speak and to tell people what he's seen. Apparently, he's the only person in human history to see heaven and have the opportunity to tell what it looks like and who's there and what's going on. And he's so humbled by what he sees, he's mute. So to this day, no one, no one still knows. He's an apostle. If it was too amazing for him to speak and he's mute, I would assume it would be so for a non-apostle. He's been given revelations. Folks, he's, he's been inspired to write two-thirds of the New Testament of your Bible. He's likened with the most eminent apostles in those three ways, miracles, signs, and wonders. And what's his conclusion of who he is in chapter 12 and verse 11 in the latter part of that verse? Actually, I should have been commended by you for in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am a what? A nobody. He actually says, I should have been commended by you, but waste no time focusing on that so that he can make sure the body is protected, healed, and progressing in gospel work. He could have vaulted himself to well into seven-figure income. I mean, think about that. Think about movie theaters throughout the country that were filled and millions of dollars were paid because of someone that expressed through their little son an out-of-body experience and they saw heaven and who they met. 
I mean, Paul could have made bank on this. In addition to that, I have heard from God, and, and this is what he has said, and, and he even says that his own flesh was tempted to that kind of pride, and so God gave him a thorn in the flesh to keep his fallen humanity humble. And he thanks God for his grace to help him to persevere with that thorn that Satan, the text says, went to God, got permission from God to give Paul this thorn. And Paul's even recognizing and humbling himself under God's mighty hand of giving Satan permission to harass him with this thorn. And it's not going away anytime soon. And you know what? I read over 21 different descriptions of what this thorn probably was by different authors. The bottom line is, nobody knows what it is. And there's a reason for that. But whatever it was, Paul was humbled by it. And by it, he deflects the potential fame and notoriety. He deflects the attention brought to himself because he came to them to preach Christ and him crucified only. Amen. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5. With the spirit of John the Baptist, Jesus Christ must increase and I must decrease. True authority just sometimes really just wants to disappear, not decrease. <laughs> because they want full time and attention put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Thirdly and rapidly as we finish this morning, genuine spiritual authority embraces a godly team effort in doing local church ministry. So many leaders in the past have gotten themselves in trouble and they've hurt and they've skinned the flock alive in lots of different ways because they sought notoriety, they sought fame, they lorded over the flock. They created an environment that was really not the gospel of Jesus Christ. They didn't do so with spirit-filled dispositions. They didn't long for Christ to be formed in their people. And that's really the, the sickest kind of ministry that would call themselves Christian is when they preach the gospel and then they don't act like they know the gospel that they just preached and the way they live and the way they lead spiritual leadership that's true and genuine never wants to be an island to themselves Paul knew that genuine gospel progress would be hard unpopular and afflicted he knew that he would need help and interdependent encouragement he found this help and encouragement in many gospel partners as he names over 100 different people at the end of his letters in the New Testament that he partnered with. But here he mentions Titus one more time. What a great value, for this is for his own encouragement, this man Titus. I do hope we all find the nobility of Paul's statements here regarding Titus helpful, personally helpful. Leadership in today's world needs to embrace this life reality. Leaders leading without spiritual interdependency with one another 
are really setting themselves up to the temptation of unethical behavior or untimely spiritual discouragement. Paul models throughout his writing and his own life the spiritual transparency that's necessary for him to avoid his own spiritual shipwreck. Genuine spiritual authority longs for the salvation and spiritual protection of the people of God. Genuine spiritual authority deflects fame and notoriety and focuses on the spiritual development of the church. And spiritual, genuine authority embraces a godly team effort in local church ministry unto gospel purposes. We all have to have that which Paul says his apostolic authority was. We all have to have that. Even though you might not be entitled with spiritual authority, these are all things that Paul had positionally and dispositionally that we should all own to make sure that Christ can stay the centerpiece of our focus as we move forward. I was reading an author recently in relationship to this text, and he said, Paul knew that life is full of ministry peaks and valleys. Some people go out on high with the peaks and some low with the valleys. But Paul knew there's one thing that cuts through both over time and history, and it's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. True spiritual authority is about gospel progress. And now we know a little bit more how to discover and enjoy the gift of genuine spiritual authority in our church. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to invest a little time in these many verses. We, we know Paul's defending his ministry that you gave him. He's not really defending himself. And I pray, Lord, that leaders here at Grace Church of Mentor and future leaders of Grace Church of Mentor and would own the realities of what genuine spiritual authority is and what it does positionally and dispositionally I pray Lord that that would be the protection of the purity and integrity of this church among many other things that we listed even this morning I pray Lord that as leaders are developed here that they would own these virtues and these desires as they come with apostolic authority as Paul said here from you in his conscience I pray that each of us would long for souls to be saved for Christ to be formed in the hearts of those souls I pray that we would deflect fame and notoriety. And I pray, Lord, that we would run away from the desire to lead alone and to lord over the flock in ways that are just ungodly, let alone unbiblical. And that we would partner together with other spirit-filled, like-minded saints that these virtues of genuine spiritual leadership 
would be owned, that they would be galvanized here for the protection and the perpetuity of this church for Christ's sake in the future. In his name we pray. Amen.